The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning, excited to get into the Word this morning. <clears throat> we spent a number of weeks in a series, and then of course we ended that series and we've had a couple of weeks since then, but on occasion, I just, I, I'm kind of a family guy, so, you know, on occasion things stir in my heart to, to bring that I, I enjoy, so you're going to, if you're willing to kind of humor me today, I, I want to have a good time in the Word, but it's still a very serious time, so I want to get into the Word this morning. I do encourage note-taking, and I know that we're all ready to eat, right? So I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to drag my feet. I want to move through the Word. I want it to be powerful and impactful in each of our lives, and I want us to really enjoy the fellowship and the food that I know uh, is in store for us here. So uh, as we prepare to get into the Word, if you have note-taking materials, you can take those out now and, and jot a few things down. I want to give you a few things we're going to find as we go through the Word together this morning. They're just things that are meant to, to inspire and provoke attention as we move through the scripture together. Some of them may stand out to you, some of them just may go in one ear and out the other, but, but hopefully they inspire you to, to pay attention and, and be involved as we move through the scripture. One, we're going to find what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. What it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I was a kid, I would sit in church and I had a, a Bible that I would carry in there, and, and I was kind of lost because I didn't know where to look things up and how to look things up, but I was always intrigued by the maps in the back of the Bible. And I would hear, you know, of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. I kept going through the maps looking for the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Never found it on the maps. But if I were to have found it, this passage of scripture would actually help me not just to find it, know where it's at, but to actually enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we know the kingdom of heaven based on the scripture as consisting of righteousness and peace and joy. So basically, what we're going to find is how to enter into righteousness, peace, and joy, which should really kind of you know, provoke some attention, because I would love to be walking in righteousness and peace and joy in every aspect of my life. A second thing we're going to find is what we need to be when we grow up. How many of you know it doesn't matter how old you are, you could need to grow up, right? I can't believe my wife didn't amen that. So what we need to be when we grow up, it's, a, it's an important thing to pursue there. We'll find it in the scripture and then here's the third, and this is going to sound kind of goofy, but how to know if you know. How to know if you know. I mean, you could just put dot, 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 God there. How to know if you know God. I mean, that would be a really devastating thing to live your lives thinking that you know all there is to know about God, and you know God, and then you come to find out that that's not the case. I mean, it would really be a letdown, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of a drag. So the scripture gives us some, some markers, some things, some tests that we can measure our lives against, not to be shamed, but to be inspired, to, to move in the directions that God's called us to. I mean, God's not in the business, excuse me, of punishing his people, but he is very much a father who disciplines and corrects. That means he's leading and guiding us. He's not mad or angry, rather he loves us and he's leading us in the way that we should go. It's a wonderful and powerful relationship to have a father who will raise us up in the way that we should go. So I want to get right into the word, what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. What it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're taking notes or if you have your Bibles with you, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you can write this down or turn there. Matthew chapter 18, I want to look at verses 2 and 3. 
Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. Now, you have to kind of picture what's going on here. Jesus is preaching, and, and you know, there's a crowd of people that are pressing in to see and to hear, to, to witness and receive the things that he's there ministering. And in the middle of this, he, he calls to someone to bring him a child. It reads like this, beginning in verse 2. And he called a child to himself. And he set the child before them. Them is the crowd. The disciples, the, the crowd of people that were there to listen and receive. He basically puts this child on display. Now, I mean, when I imagine this in my mind, I, I don't really picture a, a, a big child. I picture a little child. And the fact that he called the child to him, I'm picturing maybe a toddler. Some, some, some kid that could kind of waddle up to him, you know. And some kid that would, would be young enough to not be afraid or timid when a strange guy with a beard would be like, Hey, kid, come here but would just come up there with open arms, and the kid comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus puts the child on display. Now, when I imagine this in my head, I, I, I don't imagine him just having this, this you know, two-foot-tall child stand in front of him when there's a crowd that's, that's pressing in. I mean, nobody would be able to see the child. It would kind of defeat the purpose. So I kind of picture him doing like, you know, a Lion King kind of thing, you know, holding the kid out there for everyone to see, and everyone's seeing this kid, wondering, what's he about to say? You know, is he about to say, hey, whose kid is this? We got a loose kid up here. I mean, who knows what's going through people's minds. But he, he takes this kid and he holds the kid up for everyone to see it and puts the child on display. And then he says these words, and these words are powerful and they're profound. And we ought to understand that Jesus never spoke casually. In fact, let me correct myself, he never speaks casually. But when he speaks, when he opens his mouth and delivers a word, it's intentional. It's powerful. There's such force and weight and power behind it. He held the child. He said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not. Can you say will not? Yeah, that's pretty severe, right? That's absolute. It's not like, hey, you might not. Hey, you could not. It's you will not. You will not enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So when we're going to be pursuing entering into the kingdom of heaven, I mean, what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God, we see here Jesus is saying it requires a conversion. A conversion to what? A conversion to be like children. Now there's something there that I, I, I look at and I think about and I, I ponder and I wonder and and really and truly fatherhood has taught me a lot I've got my own two children there's one right now <laughs> and so on occasion I'll look at some of the things that that you know family life has introduced and and I'll just think about it and it can inspire some things you know I mean some of them they, they might connect some things might be a bit of a stretch but I thought I would take some time and, and share them with you and and you know though you know that I'm good for a thousand words a picture is worth a thousand words. So I thought I would bring some pictures this morning. Look at a couple of pictures, you know, have, have a good time. Some of them are funny, some of them are just cute, you know. Nothing wrong with showing off your kids. And then getting into the scriptures. So there's a few things that I think children are all about, okay? And if we're called to be converted to be like children in order to enter the kingdom of God, we ought to get an idea of what children are all about, right? So uh, let's just go with the first picture here. If we can get the first picture up there. 
Yeah, now that's kind of a strange picture, right? Now, the, the lighting might be a little off in here, but do you see how dark he is around his face there? You might have seen this picture before. I think we might have used it in something. That is the, the day of or the day before? Night before, okay? So that's within 16, 18 hours of school pictures. And, and he decided he wanted a beard like daddy. Yeah, and, and eyebrows, is that what you said? Is that why there's so much up there? Okay, yeah. So he got a hold of a permanent marker and he went to work, right? So, so here's the thing. I mean, we're meant to be converted like children. You can just leave that up there for a bit. I want to offer this to you, okay? Now, again, these are just offerings, right? Not presenting them as doctrines, just making offerings. Then we'll let the scripture speak for itself. In my experience of observing children, my own children, I want to offer this to you as, as a thing about children, that if we're to be converted and be like children, it ought to be in us too, okay? Children want to be mature. That's going to sound weird to you, but I want you to think about it, you know? I mean, how many of you have teenagers, right? How many of them act like they're in their late 30s? Yeah, okay, so you understand. They want to be mature. They... I mean, my, my kids, when they've been young, I mean, I remember uh, hearing my, my four-year-old or my five-year-old at the time, they're both the same age, they're twins, but I remember them refer to when they were little, you know, and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking like, well, that's kind of funny, you know, and in your eyes, you've all grown up, you know, you remember daddy when I was little and I, you know, it's like, well, son, you're four, but yeah, yeah, I, I remember when you're, but, but children want to be mature and then something happens, we get older and we, we want to be Immature, we want to be kids again. We want to act like we want to be back in high school, you know. And it's like, come on, you got to grow up, you know. So there's something in children where they, they want to be mature, you know, whether it's a, a drawn-on beard or, or whatever. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, there you go. So he looks a little more mature, right? Great thinker there. Uh, I like that. He's, he's, it's a bit of a straight, but he's, he's pushing for that mature, grown-up kind of look. Let's look at one more. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, we'll leave that up there for a while. That's not going to be a distraction, is it? Okay, all right, I would hope not. So if you ever wonder what my kids are going to look like when they're older, that's probably a pretty good image right there. In fact, that's uh, uh, a little frightening, so... But children want to be mature. They want to be more mature than their current state, their current situation. They, they want to be treated as mature. They want to function as mature. They want to be mature. I mean, they're, they're just revved up and ready to go. They want to leave that starting line and get to maturity as quickly as possible. Can't get there soon enough. Now, I want to give a few passages of Scripture here, okay? They're, they're just interesting. I mean, first of all, maturity is an instruction for us as believers, uh, Jesus is preaching in Matthew chapter 5. We, we, we speak of it as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. I mean, you can call it what you like there, but Matthew chapter 5, he's preaching and he's delivering uh, these messages that are profound. They're, they're, people are hearing them and they're being moved and, and their, their lives are changing forever. And he ends this message. He kind of wraps up his sermon with this declaration. You'll see it there toward the end of Matthew chapter 5. I think it's around verse 48. He stands and and he is wrapping up all the message, and he says, Now therefore, like after hearing all that I've preached, all the message that I've preached to you, now go and be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Your Bible probably says perfect. It, it might say mature. The, the literal translation is mature. 
So Jesus is preaching and he's bringing the word and he's saying, now take that and be mature. Just like God is mature. Meaning that the words that he spoke were meant to produce something in people. It was meant to move them from a state of immaturity to maturity. Jesus would never require them to be mature if they were incapable or it was impossible for them to be immature. That would be abusive. But rather, he delivered everything they needed to have that statement made in fullness of truth and righteousness. Now that you've heard these things, go and be mature, just like your heavenly Father is mature. As, as children, if we're to be converted and be like children, there needs to be an urgency in us, a pursuit, so to speak, of maturity. A drive, we want to get there, ASAP. We want to do whatever it takes to be, to be mature and, and to be received as mature. Uh, this becomes an issue when we're not childlike. When we, when we are not childlike, it's, it's challenged. You know, we, we might believe we are mature, and that could be a dangerous thing. Hebrews chapter 5, this is dealt with, and I believe Paul is the writer of Hebrews, and many, or I might even say most, do believe that. So if you hear me just say the Apostle Paul, it's my opinion. The Apostle Paul's writing here, and he's writing, he says this to a group of believers. I mean, so you're talking to Christians, you're talking to believers, and he's writing this, he's saying, hey, guys, the things that I hear, the things that I see, the things that are evident in your lives... They're not lining up. So in chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, he says this, For by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now, he's not writing to the children's ministry of the church in Jerusalem. He's speaking to adults. To Hebrew adults, he's writing to these adults that that believe Jesus is the Messiah, and he's speaking to them about this state, this condition of maturity, or rather the lack of maturity. And he goes on to say, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I mean, there's a, a, a drive in every child to grow up. They want to grow up, and they want to grow up fast. Now, as believers, if we're to be converted and be like children, it's important for us to understand that we're called to grow. I mean, I was born again, meaning like I was born as an infant again. And growing in those things, going from milk to solid food, being weaned off of basic principles and led into those deeper knowledges of truth that help me make good choices and decisions based on what's written there in Hebrews that equip me to know or that are, are proven by my ability to distinguish good from evil in my choices, in my actions, in my words. Now, there's another place that this is dealt with in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to look at the verse 3 verses, 1 through 3. You know, the Apostle Paul's writing here, and again, it, it, he's addressing maturity or rather a lack of maturity. And he's writing to adults, to, to you know, grown-ups, so to speak. He writes to these Christians in, in, at the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and he says, uh, But I, brothers, I couldn't address you as a spiritual people, but I had to address you as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Listen to what he says right there. He's not saying they're not Christians. He's identifying they very much are Christians, but they are infants in Christ. 
there's still a need for maturity to take place, to grow, and to move from one state to another. He says, I had to, to address you as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not, re- not yet ready, excuse me, for you're still of the flesh, meaning like worldly. You blend in with the world. You make the same choices and decisions that one used to make before they were in, had encountered Christ, before they were born again. There needs to be a maturity and a growth that separate from those things. And it comes from the Word of God entering into our life and having an effect. And it starts with, with milk and it moves on to deeper things. It starts with the simple and it moves to the more complex. It goes on to identify the evidence of this immaturity. It says, while there was jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in you know, the, the human way is how it reads. That sounds weird to me. But basically, you're just being worldly people. Now, you can see worldly people even in church environments. People that handle their conflicts the same way the world handles their conflicts. People that make their choices and decisions the same way the world makes their choices and decisions. I mean, these things exist in the church. And it's because immaturity. And as we can be committed to grow, if we can be converted and be like children and understand that I am now positioned to grow, I'm now positioned to be mature, I'm now able to take in nourishment and let that nourishment do great things in me that grow me and mature me in powerful ways. We can continue to advance in the things that God's called us to advance in. We can continue to know what's righteous and what's unrighteous. The choices and the decisions we make can be increasingly effective for the things that God loves, and we can reject the things that He hates. Now, there's nothing wrong with with milk. I mean, don't hear me say anything. It's not about grading Christians like A Christians are meat eaters and B Christians are milk drinkers. I mean, it's not about a a grade or, or a graduation. It's just simply a truth that everyone that's born again starts as an infant, they receive the simple things, and, and they're moved by those things, and they grow into the things that are, are able to nourish, men, or nourish them Excuse me, as they grow and move in other things. I mean, I'll give you a passage of Scripture that I think is important for you to catch. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. That way, you don't think that, you know, hey, he's saying that, you know, simple things are bad. Simple things are great. Peter's writing, and he says, like newborn infants... Long for pure spiritual milk. Now, when you, how many of you have children in the room here? You can raise your hand. Okay. When you fed your newborn infant, did you just mix up some spiritual milk and put it in a bottle? And, okay, so here's what I want to just point out here. He's not talking about babies. He's not talking about physical infants and babies. He's talking about new Christians. I mean, my children were, but I, I made a lot. We've got two kids, but we only had one pregnancy. So, you know, you know what the first one's like. You do everything by the book. I boiled every bottle. If I dropped it on the floor, I had to reboil it. Today, I'd be like, it's good. He, he's fine. The kid licks the floor. He's okay drinking out of this bottle. We're good, you know. But baby, baby one, we had two babies, but first one pregnancy, and so it was all by the book, man. But I never once mixed up spiritual milk for them. So he's not talking about real infants here. He's talking about new believers. He's talking about immature Christians. You could be a believer for a long time and never grow in Christ. I mean, that's a really big thing. And and Paul dealt with this. That's why he's writing letters and saying, hey, you should be teachers by now. I mean, based on the clock and the calendar, you've been a Christian a long time, but yet you haven't grown. That's what he's pointing out. It's really an interesting thing. And the reason why we're wanting to point this out is because 
we ought to look at ourselves. I mean, it's an important thing, not for the purpose of, of beating ourselves down or creating uh, places of shame, but for the purpose of realizing God's calling me to mature. If I'm not maturing, what's the obstacle? And how can I get that obstacle out of the way? Because God's calling me to grow in the things of his kingdom. So here's the thing. I wanted to get back to this, the spiritual milk. Remember, he's not, they're not in there feeding babies, but rather he's talking about new believers or immature believers. And I want to show you the power of those simple things. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. They long for those things that by it they may grow up into salvation. So the same way I would mix bottles for my children when they were infants and feed them, and they grew. They just consumed it, and they grew. I didn't have to make them grow. I just gave them that milk, and they grew. And then as they grew, the milk wasn't sufficient. It required more. But as they grew, they, their, their bodies matured. Things began to change. It's the same thing as believers. I remember when I was newly born again. I remember the things that excited me. I remember the things that were satisfying to me. And I've grown and moved from those things onto other things and other things. And they all build upon each other. But at the very foundation of that was spiritual milk, the, the simple basics of Christianity that were wonderful and, and inspirational and moved me to pursue the truths of the kingdom of God and the things to come. And according to this passage in Peter, when newborn infants long for the spiritual milk, by those things they grow up into salvation. When I look back at my life, I see where I grew up into salvation. And I think it's important that we see those things as, as in the scripture and, and connected to our Christianity as an individual. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that I think is important. I mean, I, I mentioned before we'd find out of the three things we're going to find here. One of those things was, you know, how to enter the kingdom of God. We did that in the first, first uh, few minutes. But now this, we need, what we need to be when we grow up. What we need to be when we grow up, I want to give you a passage of Scripture here out of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read verses 11 through 15. 11 through 15. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Now, you're going to see what we refer to as the, you know, the five-fold ministry, or you, you could hear it referred to as a number of different things. It's really not important that you understand that, but, but there's a, a revelation of these offices of ministry that are really incredible. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints and the work of service to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's a lot of words to simply say this. God's given us everything we need to grow up and be like Jesus. He's given us apostles. He's given us prophets. He's given us evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now, we're, we're, you may have noticed that we just don't run guest speakers through the church every other week. But the people that we do have, I'm not against guest speakers. I'm not at all. In fact, I think they have a wonderful role. But most of the time when we bring someone in, they're functioning in this church as an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist, a pastor or a teacher. Because those are the things that God's given us to help us grow, to help us grow up and be like Jesus. 
Many of you have heard uh, the messages of Frank Akins. Frank Akins has, has operated as a, a prophet and an apostle. He's an apostle in his country of, of Africa, for sure. When he comes and functions here, he's very prophetic in his ministry. Uh, Nigel McNeil comes in as an evangelist, and he functions and operates here as an evangelist in, in really wonderful ways. Uh, we're, we're definitely a unique church. Uh, many of the churches I've seen him minister in and other places, the ministry is set up a little bit different. But I love what he brings here as an evangelist. So the people that we're bringing in, we understand that God's given us these elements these, uh, the, for a purpose. These, these leaders for a purpose, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, so that we can all grow up and be like Jesus. So oftentimes, if there's ever disputes or there's conflicts, I mean, those are the things I'll look for. You know, where are the apostles in this? Where are the prophets in this? Where are the evangelists? Where are the pastors? Where are the teachers? And if we can connect and draw lines to those individuals, then we can come to a solution somehow. But if someone has no apostles, someone has no prophets, no evangelists, no pastors, no teachers in their life, how could they possibly grow in Jesus? If those are the things that God's given us to grow in. And it's important for us to celebrate and understand those things as we grow into the maturity that he's called us to. I want to finish reading that passage of scripture. He gave some as apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to Jesus Christ. Remember, that just means growing up to be just like Jesus. Now, here's the next passage in verse 14. As a result, did you see that? As a result, with apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers functioning in your life, building you up, building up the body to grow up to be just like Jesus, as a result... As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. I love that last sentence, but I don't talk like that. So let me take that last sentence and just kind of paraphrase it in a way that that I would say it. It says, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ. It means in every single way of your life, you're meant to grow up and be like Jesus. I'm meant to be like Jesus in my marriage. I'm meant to be like Jesus raising my kids. I'm meant to be like Jesus in my business. I'm meant to be like Jesus in ministry. I'm meant to be like Jesus in every single aspect of my life. We need to be converted and be like children. Children want to mature. It's only when I've been working with adults where I see resistance to maturity. And most of the time it's because they believe it's already happened. But we need to realize God's growing us. And I said us, not you. Us, that includes me. He's growing us to be just like Jesus. So we need to be converted and be like children. So this next one might not really connect with you. It might just be like, yeah, maybe your kids, but you know, hey, This is what I have to work with, okay? To be converted and be like children. Children, they want to be mature. We covered that. Children love to dig. Can we go to the next picture? There you go. Children love to dig. Now, that's probably influenced by me. I mean, when they turned three years old, I got them their first shovel for Christmas. And, and, I mean, for them, it was full size. For me, it would have been like a mini shovel, but for them, they could hold it, and they could dig just like Daddy. 
Children love to dig. I mean, if you don't agree with that, just go look at any sandbox. I mean, go to, go to playgrounds, and you'll just find holes where it's like, man, did a meteor or something hit here? What? We've got an asteroid issue around here. What's going on? There's holes everywhere. Kids dig. I've got dogs that dig less than my kids. And, and there's something that you've got to ask yourself. I mean, what are they doing, right? Why would a kid, they, they're looking for stuff. Kids dig and they look for stuff. That picture there is taken in, in uh, it's around the Llano Uplift, around Llano and Mason, Texas. You can find topaz and some other precious gems there. If you want to know more about it, my wife can talk to you for hours about it. And you'll see the biggest smile on her face. She would love to tell you all about it. So they're looking for a, a, a semi-precious or precious gem called topaz. And, of course, you can see they've dug a hole that they could just, uh, you know, go ahead and move into there. Like a couple little hobbits. Uh, little dwarves there digging their hole. But there's something interesting to me when we go out, and we do these things as a family. I mean, these are our vacations and our trips. This is what we do. I mean, it means Daddy works a lot, always moving rocks and digging holes and stuff, and, and that's not too far from my normal every day, so it's not much of a vacation for me, but, but it is nice to be there and enjoy those things with my family. Now, when we go and we look for these things, there's really two types, and I'm sure there's more than that, but I want to give you two basic types, Okay. So there's what they, they call, you know, surface collecting, right? Where you're walking around and you're like, hey, there's a shiny rock over there. And you go and you pick it up and you're like, yep, that's a keeper, you know. Throw it in your pocket there and you walk over here. Surface, surface collecting is easy. Surface collecting doesn't require any work or any effort. And then there's excavation. Now, excavation looks like that. Excavation is when you, you, you've already examined the surface and you understand, uh, we need to go deeper. And you begin to remove the surface, and then you begin to remove that surface's surface, and then you begin to remove that surface's surface's surface, and you get where I'm going with this. Until you're standing in a hole and you start to think like, hey, you've got a little water stand in here. But when you, when you only surface collect, you're limited in what you can find. There's not a whole lot on the surface. But when you begin to dig, you begin to find things that, that were, were hidden away. And I can tell you this, everything that I've ever found surface collecting was cool. But everything that I ever found excavating was awesome. Because you had to work for it. Children love to dig. If we're meant to be converted and be like children, we need to find that love to dig, to not be content with surface collecting. Now, I'm referring to the scripture here. I'm referring to your relationship with God. I'm referring to your connection to the body of Christ. If it's only surface, it will be limited. But if we're committed to digging, if we're committed to removing that surface and going deeper and removing that surface and going deeper, and remove, we will find precious things together. And it'll be awesome. It'll be Go to the next picture. Yeah, they, I mean, those are big, giant quartz crystals. And they're, they're kind of tough to find where we were looking there. But it's so rewarding when you go below the surface and you find things precious. And we have that available to us in every aspect of our Christianity. To refuse to remain on the surface. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture just concerning the Word of God. Psalm 18, verse 10. The words of the Lord are more desirable than gold, even fine gold, meaning pure. Psalm 19 or 119, excuse me, 72, the words of your mouth are better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 
Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver that has been refined in the furnace of the earth, even refined seven times, meaning absolutely perfect. I mean, we we have these words, even from the, the Proverbs. The Proverbs will teach us and lead us saying things like, seek after these words as you would seek after silver. Treasure wisdom as if it were a hidden treasure. Did you catch that? A hidden treasure. Treasure wisdom as if it were a hidden treasure. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Now there's something about that that I just think is great. This right here is separating surface collectors from excavators. There's something about this that I want us to catch. When it talks about that hidden treasure. When you search for those, those bits of wisdom, when you search for the truth, when you search God's word as if it were hidden treasure, then that's when you discover these things of such value. That's when you discern the fear of the Lord, discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Surface collecting means it's not hidden. It might be treasure, but it's not hidden. So when we're talking about the hidden treasure, for it to be hidden, you know you're going to have to dig. You're going to have to move some rocks. You're going to have to turn over some dirt. And there's something about this that I see that is absolutely vital and important in our lives as we pursue the kingdom of God. As we begin to function and operate in the grace of God, as we begin to be led by His Spirit into the Word to receive from the riches of His Word. Are we willing to dig or do we simply want to find it laying on the surface? It's these hidden things, the things that require us to open up the book, to devote time, to give of our lives, to receive, that open up the door for that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to prevail in our lives, in our minds, and in our actions. And the prevailing wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God applied to our life leads to success. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure that was hidden. Matthew 13, 44. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Remember, hidden means it's not on the surface. It's not in plain sight. Something's going to have to be moved. Something's going to have to be uncovered. Which a man finds, hides, And with joy goes and sells that all that he has so that he can buy the field and obtain it. I mean, the idea that the things of God are hidden doesn't sound very much like this culture's view of who God is, does it? It really doesn't to me. But these things are hidden for a purpose and for a reason that God would lead us and guide us into them. And he said himself that when we seek him, he will let us find him. Children love to dig, and as we're converted to be like kids, we need to be willing to dig. To hunt for those things that God has said are precious and valuable. And to begin to value those things which can bring his kingdom into our lives. So I want to get, get moved on here. I want to go to this next picture. I mentioned that you know, children are, are very much uh, desiring to be mature and the kids love to dig, they love to go below the surface. Now then this one might be a little bit on the nose, but that's okay. Children are capable of real love. Real love. Now that's almost a sleeper hold, but I'm telling you, that right there is a display of affection. They're capable of real love. Let's go to the next picture just real quick. 
It almost looks reenacted, doesn't it? Same kids, same one on the right, same one on the left. Just growing a little bit older, getting a little bit bigger, still has the same headlock of a hug, you know. Like, hey, we're not fighting. Look, I love this guy, right? Is that kind of what it looks like? And then the next picture, and we'll hold on the next one. There you go. There you go. Are you embarrassed? You shouldn't be embarrassed. It's cool. All right. Children are capable of real love. Now, what can make us capable of real love is something that we need to see in the Scripture. I mean, being converted, becoming like children, it's going to require applying the Word to our lives and maturing in the Word. It's going to require being willing to dig into the Word so that we can therefore apply it and mature. And some of this in the Word I want us to see right here and now as it concerns applying and, and, and being capable of real love. I'll give you these passages of Scripture for your notes. Romans chapter 12, I want to look at verses 9 through 13. If you have your Bibles, be great to turn there and see it. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Now you have to understand in, in the Greek there are multiple words for love. And you've heard Thomas talk about this when he's uh, taught here, whether it's on Sunday or on Wednesday. Uh, you have a couple of words that we're going to see here. One will be uh, the word agape or a derivative of it, meaning the love of God. I mean, this is the love that we are called to attain to, to aspire to. It is the, it's, it's the love that we're called to, to operate in. And then there's one that is phileo, like Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. So you're going to see both of those words in the Scripture here, but you're going to see that they're, they're kind of connected to each other. Almost a, a cause and effect, so to speak. So in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, you're going to see this, this call. Remember, to be like children, we need to be capable of real love. And in Romans chapter 12, we see real love as being called out. As Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Like, let it be undisguised. Let it not be a, a trickery. But let it be real. Let it be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. And that love there is that agape. Let agape, let the love of God be without hypocrisy. And when I say the love of God, I don't just mean God's love for you. I'm talking about the love of God operating through your life. You representing the very love of God, the very nature of God. Let love be without hypocrisy. It goes on to say, hate what's evil and cling to what is good. Reject what's evil and cling to what's good. And then verse 10, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now that's that other word, the, the phileo, the, the brotherly love. So he's saying, let the love of God, let agape be real. Cling to each other with phileo, with brotherly love. For us to let agape be real, we must cling to each other with phileo. For us to have agape existing in and through this congregation, we must cling to each other with brotherly love first. It's cause and effect. If we will cling to each other with brotherly love, this congregation will become known to this community as the place where agape exists, abides, flows, and does its wonderful and powerful work. Cling is a wonderful word there. Some of your Bibles may be translated devoted. You go to the Greek word there and it literally means family connection. Committed like, like parent to child. Committed like siblings. Be devoted to each other. 
I mean, imagine that. That's what it starts with. We are devoted to each other with a brotherly love, and it opens up the door for us to reveal the agape love of God that we're called to reveal. It starts with us not separating every time we have a conflict, but we stay committed to each other. We cling to each other. It starts with us not rejecting each other every time we have a disagreement, but rather we're committed to cling to each other. We are devoted to each other like mother to daughter, like father to son, like family. We are devoted to one another in brotherly love. And it opens up the door for the agape love of God to be revealed and released to this community. And that's powerful. And what's amazing to me is the list of things that follow. And I want to offer this to you. You can look at it there in your own time and study it and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. He loves to reveal things to us. There's no doubt about that. But I think there's, there's between seven and eight things that follow that passage of Scripture that list what that brotherly love looks like. It's almost like it's not a riddle. It's not a fortune cookie that says, uh, you will agape if you first phileo. But rather it says, hey, listen, if you want the love of God to be flowing through your, your lives, through your congregation, through, through your household, if you want the love of God to exist and be active and powerful as it is, you need to cling to each other with brotherly love, and it looks like this. The rest of that passage says things like, give preference to one another in honor. Prefer each other. I can't tell you how many times I've told my twin sons to prefer one another when there's a conflict. Prefer one another. I mean, it's no different than Jesus saying, treat him like you would want him to treat you. Put him first. Prefer one another with honor. And then there's another area here, not lagging behind in diligence. It means be quick to help each other. You go to those Greek words and you see there's a deep, profound meaning to every one of these things listed. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I mean, meaning we're excited to function and operate together in ministry. Whether that's greeting at the door or whether that is, is stirring the soup in the soup line or whatever it is we're about to eat. The soup line sounds pretty poor, doesn't it? I don't know. There you go. Just be fervent, whatever you're doing. Stirring soup, handing out bowl, doesn't matter. We're excited. And then another is rejoicing in hope, uh, uh, preserving in tribulation. Preserving in tribulation means sticking together. We tough it out together. We don't cut and run, but we hang in there. Being devoted in prayer or devoted to prayer, that's a way we can show brotherly love. You want to have your prayer life explode? Quit praying about your stuff and start praying for other people. I'm serious. I mean, just do that for a week. Call it a fast if you want to. You know what? I'm going to quit praying about my stuff. I'm just going to pray for everybody that comes to my mind at Champions. You know, Father, bless that family. That family anything. Let it flow. You'll see great things happen. Okay, the, the next one. Contributing to the needs of the saints. I mean, that's a pastoral dream come true if you want to talk about that before the offering or something. But it means contributing or distributing to the needs of the saints. And it's not about limited to, excuse me, finances. It's everything. It's your time. It's you. It's every part of your life. It's about volunteering. It's about being involved. It's about understanding that we're in this together and there's no free rides. We all jump in and we all pull the load and we all tow the line. And where you're weak, I will come in and I will fill the gap. And where I'm weak, you will step in and you will fill the gap. And together we're going to get something done for Jesus. Because he's called us to operate like that. 
And that's been his example to us. And then that last one on that list, practicing hospitality. I've been in a number of congregations in the past where there were were wonderful people, but they weren't connected to each other. They didn't do anything together outside of Sunday. Practicing hospitality means we, we, we function. and we are. Now, you can't do everything with everyone. But when individuals are committed to saying, hey, brotherly love means these things, and I want these things to exist in my life, then we're functioning hospitably to one another. And you see great things happen, opening the door for the love of God to be revealed in us, to us, and through us. I'll give you another passage of Scripture here, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It reads like this, since you have in obedience to the truth, I mean, that means since you have obeyed the word of God, since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls from a, with a, for a sincere love of the brethren. Excuse me, since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Once again there you see those two words. Since you have lived by God's word, since you have obeyed God's word and it's purifying to the soul that you can sincerely phileo, since you can sincerely love your brother, function and operate in brotherly love, since you've done that, now fervently love one another, agape one another from the heart. Do you see a cause and effect here? Like this comes first, then this is the result. And I think churches and Christianity at large are loving to preach the agape love of God, but if there's no brotherly love, there's no agape. We need to become like children where we can function and operate in these things, where we don't grow into divisions and strife and pride and arrogance and we're not interested in those uh, minuscule, vain contests that pit us against each other, but whether we support each other in all the ways God's called us to and make way for His love to be revealed through us. I'll give you a passage of scripture as we close. I mentioned before we'd find out how to know if you know, how to know if you know, and then I just said you can put dot, 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 God. I mean, how to know if you know God. If you want to turn there in your scripture, I strongly recommend if you want to turn there in the Bible, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. A couple of passages of scripture I want to read, but I would encourage you to indulge in 1 John especially in the fourth chapter there. But I want to look at verses 7 and 8. It's written to you and me. I mean, we're the beloved. We're the saints. We're we're the, the believers that are being written to here. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, one of the things that we need to understand to make this passage uh, make sense is those words that mean love. Brotherly love is important. There's no room for, well, I love him, but I don't like him. There's no room for that. We've created these, these loopholes and legalities that can, you know, we can appear to be functioning as God's called us to function when really we're functioning way outside of those things. But for that passage of Scripture to come to pass and be true about each of us, for us to love one another with the love that is from God, the agape, we're going to have to have the brotherly love. 
that exists in hospitality, that exists in preferring one another, that exists in rejoicing in hope and preserving in tribulation, that exists in sticking together and clinging together even when things are hard, difficult, tough, or seemingly impossible. We don't quit. That's us. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Champs